the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Hey there, thanks for tuning in, and thank you for telling friends that you hang out here on the other side of Texas, your host, Jay West, Texas Leases. We do roll along, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's Best Wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed. Today, the show, and I will say an abbreviated show... Um, got uh, those Texas Tech basketball tickets, and it is dress up like a superhero night. So we have four little Leesons ready, revved up, ready to go to the game, maybe win the superhero contest there at the United Supermarkets Arena. Will it be called the HEB Supermarkets Arena years from now? That's the controversy. You have to go back and listen to yesterday's episode there. On our podcast, anywhere that you can find a podcast. Uh, But uh, that's going to lend to a little bit of the abbreviation today in the show. But good entertainment ahead for you. Your text thoughts along the way. 806-745-5800. That's 806-745-5800. we got Ross Ramsey coming up about 10 minutes from now. Uh, Ross is going to get into the latest on, we're going to tell you a little bit about the, a little bit about a Confederacy creed that is uh, on a wall in the Texas Capitol that's gained a lot of, whatever the antithesis of esteem is, a lot of scourge, a lot of uh, problems, a lot of complaints, and it may be well-founded. Uh, get in with Ross Ramsey on that coming up. Also want to get into the funeral of George H.W. Bush. Some observations there. And also PETA. Uh, if PETA. If you don't think that people for the ethical treatment of animals has already lost their minds, uh, we've got something to say about that. We're going to take one bite of the elephant at a time. On that issue, watching as I was able today, um, some remarks from George H.W. Bush's funeral. The first thing that strikes me is, and you hear this all the time, uh, I'm 40, uh, those of you who listen regularly know that I have an 11-year-old, two 9-year-olds, and a 5-year-old, just turned 5. The intentionality that is required to be a parent. And, you know, these years go by fast is what they tell you. That's what you hear a lot of. And I'm beginning to see how they do slip away, especially with the 11-year-old. What did we miss? What could we have done? But that seemed to me to be, of all things, you know, there's the statesman. There's the nobility of George H.W. Bush. Uh, all in hindsight, right? I mean, I wish that I could go back to media clips of the early 90s and hear the same folks say something different. But uh, P. 
people are judged by the merit of their character at the end of their lives. And what I walked away from was Father. And I want to get into a couple of those clips now where I heard the resonating claims and um, esteem of him as a father. Here is George W. Bush giving the eulogy for his father and uh, pretty moving stuff. We have it in two parts for you. Um, we're going to cue that up right now. Last Friday, when I was told he had minutes to live, I called him. The guy answered the phone, said he, I think he can hear you, but he hadn't said anything for most of the day. I said, Dad, I love you, and you've been a wonderful father. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, I love you too. And then to... Your decency, sincerity, and kindness. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. And then he cracks us. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. Mm. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding mom's hand again. Of course, Robin being the three-year-old that Barbara and George H.W. Bush lost. A remarkable American moment. Um, especially in the midst of the strife that we hear today. Uh, really remarkable. From George W. Bush about his father. There's Jeb reaching over for his brother's hand. Uh, they're laughing and crying at the same time. Uh, remarkable moments. And, you know, my mom texted me today. Uh, her mom being the Graham Graham. I hope that you're recording this and that you take the children through it so that they appreciate this country more. And, you know, I, you know here's here, let me riff on this for just a second. People will call me a lot of different things, but what I appreciate at the end of the day are our institutions, our traditions, and our places. And to me, that qualifies as conservative. But that may be raving on against the modern ilk, uh, the contemporary ilk, who, uh, you know, maybe we just need to do away with institutions and maybe uh, definitely with places, especially if they're rural. And I think that there's a place where a lot of people live, a honey spot, as it were, where you can appreciate all those things and uh, modify them, contemporize them. And as someone who's watching that today, uh, certainly didn't agree with George a. George W. Bush. Really was my turning point as you know. I spent my college years as a as a super hot red conservative, but watching the George W. Bush administration changed my mind in a lot of ways, especially on foreign policy. And I don't want to use this as a moment to beat him like a pinata. But the George W. Bush administration, I think, 
not just on the foreign policy front, but with the collapse of Wall Street and what happens whenever people who have uh, a great amount of interest in their favor and how they leverage that and uh, at the cost of everyone else. I think that that changed my mind. I think it changed a lot of people's minds. But I walk away from today with one thing on my mind after watching him eulogize his father like that and it's this may we all be fathers like george hw bush may all of our children um, walk up to a lectern one day and thank the almighty for the kinds of parents we were both fathers and mothers I'm thankful that Ross Ramsey's on the show. He's coming up just right here after the break. Uh, get into the latest in Texas government and what's going on with Texas politics. We'll start with the um, children of the Confederacy creed and then hashtag Bet Obama, uh, Beto meeting with Barack Obama, and then how the tides have changed in Texas government. A lot coming up for you after that somber intro. Also, PETA. I hope you're listening. Some uh, I got a, a bone to pick with you, and it's not a human bone; it's an animal bone. That coming up right here. Stick with us. About Nine seconds from now, get into more here on your other side. I saw miles, miles of Texas, all the stars up in the sky. I saw miles and miles of Texas. As he does each week, it is my political counselor. And from what I hear, whenever I talk to people who listen to the program, their political counselor as well, Ross Ramsey. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, man. What's going on? Well, a lot that we need some feedback from. Let me read for you. Let's start here. There's a plaque, and you can tell us how long it's been up. But this is the Children of the Confederacy plaque that hangs up in the Capitol. And it says, I'll read the last paragraph. We, therefore, pledge ourselves to preserve pure ideals, to honor our veterans, colon, to study and teach the truths of history, one of the most important of which is that the war between the states was not a rebellion, nor was its underlying cause to sustain slavery and always act in a manner that will reflect honor upon our noble and patriotic ancestors. Ross Ramsey, here's the question for you. The contention is whether what the war was fought over and whether whether or not it was a rebellion. I think on either side you have to say, well, yeah, it was a rebellion or, you know, maybe slavery wasn't the underlying cause. Good people can be in different positions, but not both of those things are true. Uh, why is this still hanging up in the halls of government in Texas? Well, you know, the the one of these is just not true. I mean, if you read the state's articles or Declaration of Secession, you know, they mentioned slavery a number of times. It's clear that that was foremost on their mind, and they're, you know, um, pulling out of the United States of America, and you can call that a rebellion or not, and, you know, have a semantic bite if you want to. Um, but they've got all of this commemorated in a brass plaque that is dated... 1959 that hangs in the state capitol 
so it comes, you know, nearly 100 years, actually 98 years after that Declaration of Secession. And it also survived the, you know, the redo of the Capitol in the early 90s, you know, when they went back and redid, um, uh, you know, did a restoration of the Capitol, built the Capitol extension that goes underground on the north side of the Capitol. And, you know, it, during that process, almost everything came down and everything got put back up. So somebody decided in the process of that, let's leave that plaque where it is. Yeah, let's see what was going on in the late 50s. I'm just uh, civil rights. That's what was going on. Right. There was, you know, there was a lot of this. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, and this is pretty well documented, a lot of the monuments that now stand commemorating or memorializing the Civil War went up somewhere between, you know, the, the early to mid-50s and the early to mid-60s, you know, during the civil rights fights. So who do you take to task exactly on why this is just now an issue in 2018? Well, you know, the boss of stuff, you know, the bosses of stuff, what's up in the Capitol are the people in the Capitol. Eric Johnson, who is a black Af- a black uh, state representative from Dallas, he's a Democrat, called this to the attention of the State Preservation Board and copied state leaders in a letter in August of last year of 2017 and, you know, uh, nobody did anything, and now suddenly the election is over and this ball is moving, and I think, you know, those things are not unrelated. We did some polling uh, about the Confederate, you know, when all the Confederate memorials um, were in controversy and people were taking them down or not taking them down, arguing about them, and Republican voters were largely in favor of leaving the monuments alone, and they're, you know, politicians we're in an election year, and they didn't do anything about this until now that the elections are over. Suddenly, it's a hot item. Ross, what? I mean, here's your curveball for the week, if not the month. <laughs> I feel like I've done a lot better with this of late. Here's the con. Here's the conversation I hear a lot, especially in election season. It was the Democrats who were Jim Crow. It was the Democrats who were this, that, and the other. Tell us, and again, I'm just asking you off the top of your head here. But I'm sure it's something you've thought about. Do people not see the shift within the parties in the 60s, especially LBJ? Like, I know, and however unpopular this is, I'm going to say it. After LBJ's Civil Rights Movement, uh, Civil Rights Act of 64, there's a correlation in places like Lubbock. Why? There was never a Republican or never a Democrat elected again. Like, people make it out to be, well, the Democrats were the party, but it seems like there was some crossover there as well into Republicanism. Is that is that clear enough the way that I've laid it out for you to respond to? I don't think this matters whether Democrats did it or Republicans did it. The question is, did the thing that whoever did the thing that these Texans did, was it a correct thing to do? And should it stand or should it be corrected? But along and, the lines of it and, was and, and I don't think it matters if you if you say, you know, well, I'm from this party and the other party did it. You know, my mom, I have a little brother and my mom was always asking this. Well, if your brother did this, if your brother jumped in a lake, would you jump in a lake? I mean, you know. Just because the other party did it or didn't do it doesn't mean and doesn't determine what you should do about it. I mean, it should be just simply, does this belong here or not? Yeah, it just it seems duplicitous for me to hear people make that argument, but it also be Republicans who want the plaque to stand or, you know, whatever it may be to stand. Um, Republicans have had a difficult time 
in 18, no doubt about it, in Texas. I don't think you can qualify it as a blue wave. But, you know, we've talked about this before on the program. The one constant variable in what happened in 2018, Beto O'Rourke's name comes up. Initially had no interest in 2020, but has changed his mind. Met with Barack Obama. You have coined this term Beto Obama. Uh, Beto Obama, yeah. Tell us what's going on. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at Democratic Party, and, you know, this is happening all over the country, and they don't have a particular candidate who stands above all the other candidates. If you look at this, the last time they were putting a nomination together, Hillary Clinton sort of was that candidate, you know, and then Bernie Sanders rose up and, you know, made some noise. But at the beginning of the race, she was sort of the preeminent candidate. Uh, This is more like what was going on on the Republican side, last time around and you know they popped up a billion candidates and got donald trump at the end this time the democrats are looking for a big candidate or somebody they can get behind and they've got a long long list of names i mean if you google 2020 democratic presidential candidate you'll get a ton of names some of them are fictional some of them are you know factual we'll see yeah, I mean, they'll just, they're not going to run. They're just not, okay. you know, they're fake news, right? But you're going to get some people in there who, you know, actually do turn out to be candidates for the race. And, you know, one of the people that some are looking at is uh, Beto O'Rourke, because he showed so well in Texas, which is a critical Republican state, and lost in an honorable way that actually showed some um, some promise. He raised a bunch of money. He raised a bunch of attention, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, he's one of the people that people are specula- speculating around. If you were someplace else, you'd be we'd be having the same conversation about Kamala Harris or, uh, you know, a Devon Patrick or Mitch Landrew. It just depends on where in the country you are. Um. So, do you think Ross? I know you don't like to make predictions, but I've said I think he's going to run, I and mean, I've said that while you said he he wasn't going to run. It's hard to imagine why he would not. Oh, there's a million reasons not to run. You know, if you look at it and you find somebody in the race who you think is more qualified or you want to get behind, if you decide you don't want to put your family through this, if you look at what it would take to get up to speed enough to be a reasonable presidential candidate on something like foreign affairs that you've never dealt with, there are a million reasons not to run. And, and you know, the first thing that's going to happen here in the race among the people who are seriously considering this is they'll poke around and see how much money they could raise and sort of see who would try to get a, a smell for who would do best in the, you know, what I call the finance primaries, who would get the financial support that it takes to run a race, to go to Iowa, to go to New Hampshire, and all of that kind of stuff. There are a million hurdles on the obstacle course before you become a candidate. They're, they're going to turn out to be for the candidates who, who don't run a million reasons not to. Yeah, but it is intriguing, and I've said this before on the show, it's intriguing how well, like, Donald Trump was Teflon to the typical Republican arguments in 2016, especially before the SEC primary. Like, he he calls himself now Mr. Tariff, but he was Mr. Tariff then. Like, right. fending for middle, lower middle class workers. But somebody who else I think has some Teflon is Beto O'Rourke and. How well would he stand on that stage with Donald Trump and be able to let things just slide off that Trump has 
lot of a lot of folks, a lot of his um, targets, it's not slidden off. Ted Cruz included, and I think that it's really intriguing to me. Now, I'm I'm saying that as an analyst like yourself, Ross Ramsey. I'm not saying that you know I'm voting for Beto O'Rourke, but I do think it's intriguing how he would provide Teflon to Mr. Teflon himself. Well, you know, you got to get him out of a primary first, and there's a million ways to die there. You know, Jeb Bush was, in some ways, a highly respected campaigner and candidate going into the last presidential race, and he fizzled. Mm -hmm. You don't know how they're going to perform on stage. You don't know how they're going to perform in a presidential contest. And, you know, one of the things that you can say, I would say, in favor of the way we elect presidents is that they have to run this terrible gauntlet and prove themselves – and running the gauntlet is part of what trains you to be president. You don't you haven't seen Beto O'Rourke attempt that gauntlet yet. You know it's a, a order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude harder than a mere race for U.S. Senate, and it's a real testing ground. And you know most of those campaigns fall short. Uh, Ross Ramsey of the Texas Tribune. He's the executive editor and co-founder. Does it bother you that I don't say co-founder more often? No, no, I got a job because you were ahead of the curve. A <laughs> job, employed. a job that you helped put together. And listen, there are a lot of kids at Tech who listen to the show in the journalism department. And I did. I was remiss. They asked me to do a fourth estate seminar uh, with them on um, what new journalism looks like. Ross, I completely forgot to throw out. You know, this is what I do is like a new journalist, quote unquote. Uh, with all my stuff that I've done on the regions at Tech and all that stuff. But what I completely forgot to throw out was how far ahead of the curve you and Evan Smith were in setting up a nonprofit on uh, on a news a news outlet. And uh, I hope that those kids are listening. I just wanted to take that little sidebar to say I'm sorry I didn't mention that and that needs to be mentioned because I think that is the future of news in Texas. But you can read his analyses every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Texas Tribune. Ross, let me tell you one thing, uh, one piece of analysis that I've got going that's going to be published soon. Texas didn't go purple and went Amarillo. Just hear me out here. In Amarillo, you've got, it's a play on words, but in Amarillo, you've got folks who were run against, uh, for price, Cole Seliger, in Ken King, if you can say an hour and a half away from Amarillo is still Amarillo, uh, but you had those guys who were all run against in the primary back in March, uh, all by the same interest group, and they all wound up winning their primary, even squeaking through Seliger and Ken King, who had two opponents each, but their allies across the state did so well in November, Charlie Guerin, Capriglione, there in Tarrant County. And then you go down to Jim Murphy and Sarah Davis, even throw in Morgan Meyer in Dallas, the only surviving Republicans in Dallas County and Harris County between Murphy and um, Davis. And Angie Bunton. Okay, so we can throw that in there too. But they were the only surviving but it's because they were Amarillo kind of candidates who people trust. I don't think that it went purple as much as there's this there's this movement within Texas right now that 
we want really capable and responsible people leading our districts. Do you disagree with that? This leads into the leech conversation that we'll have. But do do you see the point that I'm trying to make there? That if you've got a competent person applying their competence towards practical solutions, then they did better than others in the last election? I'm not willing to say necessarily that the people that got beat were all not competent um, or, or you know, the kinds of Republicans that might get supported. I really think at the end of the day that this election was about, you know, like midterm elections usually are, it was about Donald Trump. And it was about, you know, to some extent it was about Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke. And, you know, the people down ballot in Senate and House races, you know, to some extent, particularly in urban areas, are largely you know, victims or beneficiaries of what happens above them on the ballot. And if a president is having a bad time or if, uh, you know, a Senate candidate is having a tough time, the people in that person's party are going to have a tough time down the ballot. You know, it's what happened to Ed Emmett, the county judge in Harris County, for example, a popular county judge, a Republican, Very got popular, beat in, a, yeah. in, in, a, in a blue wave. Um, and I'm not sure... You know, I give the voters a lot of credit, but I'm not sure that they were so discriminating that as they went down the ticket, they went, you know, I like, you know, in the in the 40th race they voted in or, in, you know, in the 10th race they voted in or wherever, that they were as discriminating as they were, say, in the top race where they'd heard more information about the candidates. Yeah. So Jeff Leach is a guy who, from Plano, he's a state representative. He's up and coming was the Baylor student president, has family in Lubbock. He's come on the program before. But to my point, and maybe to your point as well, he has ditched the Freedom Caucus and said, you know what, I'm out on being some far-right voice, and I want to just focus on helping Republicans in the state. I can make of it what I will, but uh, this is your time on the show. What do you make of Jeff Leach saying... Uh, con Dios, Freedom Caucus. I think he's got a, you know, the House has a reset here. They've got a new speaker coming in. They can start all over. Uh, they have plenty of time to find out that they have irreconcilable differences with the speaker. It's better to start with a, you know, let's let's start with a handshake and a smile, and we'll go from there. And I think he's doing that. You know, Joe Strauss is on the way out. In some we, re, in some ways. Joe Strauss in opposition in the Republican Party by some to Joe Strauss was, you know, kind of the the initial DNA of the Freedom Caucus. And, you know, I think he's looking at it and saying, I'm going to start on the team. And if the team doesn't go the way that I hope it will and that I that I think it will, I can always go back into the Freedom Caucus. But for now, there's no reason for the Republican Party to be split. And he wrote a really interesting, um, you know, letter to his fellow Freedom Caucus members, it was very full of praise for them and, you know, camaraderie, but he said, you know, I'm going to drop out of this for now and listed his reasons. And I, I, I you know, I think he's really just doing a reset as we come in with a new speaker. Uh, some of those guys were feeling like they were on the outs, that they were the loyal, loyal opposition and all that, but the loyal opposition doesn't pass bills, and I think some of them want to pass some bills. Yeah. Like uh, Jeff Leach, and I think important to point out what one by two or three points in November. Yeah, he had a very close election, unexpectedly close. I think you know he was he saw it coming, and you know was able to um, prevail. But you know, in a district where that was drawn to prohibitively favor Republicans, he won by you know I want to say without looking it up, I want to say about five points. Yeah. 
Uh, what do you got coming down the pike, Ross? Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on down here in Austin, and it's the last week uh, that the legislators can raise money. So downtown Austin has been full of legislators and uh, accepting and lobbyists passing out campaign finance checks. And Saturday's the last time, uh, the last day they can do that before a session-long blackout on fundraising starts. So, you know, there are a lot of people doing that. We'll be looking at their fundraising totals in January and, you know, just uh, seeing how they prepare now. We're sort of shifting gears from seeing what happened in the elections to um, trying to figure out what they're going to do when they get here in January with a, with a regular session. Fastballs, curveballs, and uh, change-ups. He catches them all there. Ross Ramsey. Check him out at uh, Ross Ramsey on Twitter and at texttribune.org every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you next week. All right, buddy. Isn't he so gracious to even call me friend? Hey, uh, you call PETA friends? Let's talk about PETA whenever we come back. I've got some questions to ask. We're going to take this one bite of the elephant at a time. Did I say planning? I meant planning. And estate planning. Check those guys out. We got them on the case ourselves. Practice what we preach here on the other side of Texas. Speaking of colloquialism and idioms, I see today that uh, PETA, uh, yesterday afternoon, put up a tweet. I think half of these people's problem, and this is always my problem with liberals, is that you want to tear down traditions and institutions. And for those of who would say, well, Leeson is this, Leeson is that, I always take opposition to tearing down traditions and institutions, unless given the facts. PETA tweets out this words matter as, and as our understanding of social justice evolves our language evolves along with it here's how to remove speciesism speciesism this is a new phobic speciesism from your daily conversations Number one, and it's under the billing of stop using any animal language. (coughs) This is my whole problem. We live in a rural context on other sides of Texas, and we work with these things called animals in ways that people who probably live in a consulting advertising firm wearing Gucci shoes who made all this up do not live the Gucci shoes have you checked to see where the fabric of your Gucci shoes was from where it was derived I don't think you have this is what they say how to stop using any animal language Instead of using 
kill two birds with one stone. Say instead, feed two birds with one scone. Instead of, be the guinea pig. Say, be the test tube. Instead of, be the dead horse. Say, feed a dead, uh, feed a fed horse. Excuse me, Peter. Instead of, bring home the bacon. Say, bring home the bagels. Hmm. Bagels, so much less in nutrients than the bacon and the happiness instead of take the bull by the horns say instead take the flower by the thorns now I do want to take this one bite of the elephant at a time and I don't mean to um, ruffle any feathers or lead you on a wild goose chase or weasel out of something or let the cat out of the bag I'm watching all this like a hawk like a fish out of water and I don't want to fish or cut bait and I don't want to be a red herring and nor do I want to be the ants in the pants of PETA um or do I want to um let pigs fly here but I do want to say just in simple response to PETA that they are full of bull crap and that's where we're going to leave it good show for you tomorrow coming up on the program uh, expecting expecting our friend Jay Root from the Texas Tribune who's got the latest on the TABC and a big alcohol case with the TABC. Of course, they oversee alcohol, but what specs done with them? If you live in Lubbock, you know what specs is. Also, checking in with our good friend Chris Level going into Friday. I don't know. It could be Coach Beard. It could be Brandon Darby. But either way, it's going to be greatly entertaining for you here on the program. But for now, I got to get home, going to get home, got a great night ahead of us. We got some Texas Tech basketball, maybe some below average nachos. I don't know. It could be whatever mom made the kids before we leave to go to the game to watch our 13th ranked Texas Tech Raiders. But until we check back in with you, I just want this one thing from you. I want you to rave on rave on buddies rave on uh your thoughts on things that we need to cover here on the program jay at other side of texas.com that's jay at other side of texas.com and so i'm gonna get at it rave on buddies we'll see you next time right here on the other side of texas Do we